Hi, my name is Stella Stewart and I just graduated from Marshall Fundamental and I will be attending San Francisco State in the fall. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 40. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you, do not, you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be blessed to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Stella. God bless you as you go to San Francisco State. Stella is going to be studying uh, literature and creative writing, something like that. That's what I always wanted to study, so I've, I'll take your place, okay? You can come and preach. So as I think you have been noticing in this final sermon series that I'm doing as your senior pastor, what I've been doing is turning to some of those Bible texts and topics that have had a significant formative and directive influence on my life. And I'll tell you, the one that Stella's just read for us, the text we come to today, Psalm chapter 40, it is surely one of those. I'm going to try to communicate. It'll be like a testimony in some ways. Uh, It's been a text that I've come back to again and again and again when I've been in one of those situations when I just didn't quite know what to do next. Have you ever been in one of those? Are you in one now? Maybe you are. So as Psalm 40 opens, we find the powerful King David of Israel remembering back to a time in his life when he had been in, using his own words, a slimy pit, um, a place filled with mud and mire. So I found a picture to try to get you to envision what this might have felt like. I'll put it up here for you. Uh, The phrase that he uses, slimy pit, was one that referred to that kind of desperate situation in which people just don't know what to do next, where to go from here, and even if they think they might know where they should go next, they don't have any power to do it. They're stuck. Uh, Powerful and influential people like the powerful, the most prestigious king of Israel, King David, usually don't like to admit they're in those situations. Usually in that kind of a place, we like to try to pretend that we can get out of this thing ourselves, but you know, um, because we don't want to look weak. But the reality is there are times when we just don't know what to do, and even Israel's most influential king had found himself in what I call slimy pit situations over and over again in his life. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, Stella read, David didn't tell us what that slimy pit situation was that he was remembering back to, and I'm really glad he didn't. 
because that gives us the freedom and the flexibility to apply this to almost any one of those situations where we're not quite sure where to head from here. So I went back through David's life and just pulled out a few of his slimy pit situations to see if maybe you can relate to some of them. There was one early on where just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like when he was a young man playing his harp with that crazy King Saul and the king irrationally turned against him and tried to kill him and sent all of his armies against young David. It must have been a slimy pit situation. Very often for David, they were messes of his own making. He'd gotten himself into the pit, like, like the message to Pastor Jeff that you did last week from Psalm 51. It was written after David, he had grievously sinned. Were you here last week? You remember that. I mean, he had... Uh, committed adultery, he had, his actions had led to a murder, he'd been trying to, to cover it up, but he'd been found out. And when it first happened, he had no idea what was going to be next. Another kind of a slimy pit situation is when you feel like you're a target of these unscrupulous enemies. Have you ever felt when it seems like everybody's against you, maybe even in your own family, and David had had that. When his closest associates and even his sons <laughs> tried to take the kingdom away from him and overthrow him, Difficult, slimy pit situation. Another one, and, and it's one that I'll be communicating a little bit to that's meant so much to me, is, is serious sickness. Uh, psalm 38, just two psalms before this one, was a psalm that D David had written in one of those situations when he was so sick that he didn't think he would ever recover and wondered what to do next. And then sometimes uh, these situations are simply those perplexing life decisions that you're not quite sure what to do. So when you get to when David was really old, it's in 1 Kings 1 and 2, he had this hard decision. He didn't want to give up his kingdom, but one of his sons was trying to take the kingdom yet again from him. He knew that the next king was supposed to be a different son. He had to make a hard, hard decision. Nothing seemed to be right. Again, I'll just ask you, when I, when I show you all those kinds of things, that I think are biblical slimy pit situations. Have you ever been in any one of them? Maybe you've been in each one of them at one time or another. <laughs> I have. And that's why I love this psalm that we're coming to today. And I hope you'll just take it and mark it and, and read it through. I have found such practical guidance in this psalm about how God would have us to seek him when we're in those times. You know, David often wrote his psalms when he was in those situations. And in most of them, he would start with the slimy pit situation and then tell about how he would go to the Lord. And sometimes it ended with the resolution and solution that God stepped in and delivered him. But that's not the way that um, Psalm 40 is. Uh, he was in one of those messes. He was. But he didn't start by talking about the current mess he was in. I, I don't know if you noticed. He started by looking back and remembering what God had done in the past. And then he brings us up into the current mess he was in. So that's, I'm just going to let him, the word guide us, all right? So we're going to pull back and think about who God is and how he rescues people in the past. I want you to think about whether he's ever done that in your life. Then we're going to pull into the present and see how we might act when we're in a slimy pit situation. So we'll start. Verses 1 through 10, it, it talks about the God who delivers people from slimy pits. The Lord, Jehovah, turned to me. The Lord heard my cry. The Lord lifted me out. The Lord set my feet upon a rock, and the Lord gave me a new song in my mouth. 
Do you see the point of these three verses? It's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? What David couldn't do, God could and did. And when you read through verses 4 through 10, you just see that God, David's gratitude for God's rescue in his life had, had begun to change his life. I jotted down a few of the things that you can see it in. He began to recognize that these kinds of rescues are all God's work. Yes, he was the king. Yes, he had authority. He could do so much. But there are things that fall outside of our control. David owned up to the fact that he couldn't save himself. So apart from God, he was often in those hopeless, helpless situations. And he would just say, blessed, verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Not, not in a self-help book, not in his own wit or in his own strategy, but in the Lord. And he would say, verse 5, many, many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. So he began to learn to see that there are things in our lives that only God can do. What else do I, they see in this? He, he, he also began to grasp an essential message about God that I'm praying that all of you who are baptized will really more and more come to see this, and that is that God is a God of grace that we often think we have to earn favor. In most religions, that's what it's all about. You've got to be good enough that God will somehow love you and be willing to rescue you. But, but David knew that he couldn't be perfect enough to do it. And he learned, I don't have to do that. I don't have to somehow warrant, now I'm good enough that God might accept me. I don't have to bring tribute to God to have him somehow love me again. Listen to David's words, and sometimes I want you to make these your own. I've made them my own. Uh, they're in verses six to eight. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. So what is it? Then I said, here I am. I have come. I desire to do your will, my God. I'll tell you, I heard that, some of that up in the testimonies even here today. <laughs> that desire just to give yourself from head to toe, you know, like you're baptized, head to toe to the Lord. And then his life was changed. Instead of talking about how great he was as a king, you know, all of that, he gave witness to God being his rescuer and his savior, I'm going to proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly, he would say in verses nine and 10. I will speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. So I'll tell you, when you just, if you would stop it in the verse 10, you, you would read these things that you read in verses four through 10 and you say, wow, this king has gotten it. David has become an invincible, devoted man of faith Surely he will never be shaken by any slimy pit situations that might come into his life this side of heaven again. Do you think that when you read those? That you, if you think that, think again. So the first thing is that God who rescues out of slimy pits, and then we get into verses 11 through 17. The human being who finds himself in yet another slimy pit. Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. They are more than the hairs of my head. Save me, Lord. So, as I told you, when you look at verses one through 10, when David looked back to the slimy pit situation he'd been in, we don't know what had gotten him there. 
We, we don't really know what the situation was that was there. But when we come to the one he was in when he wrote Psalm 40, that he was currently in, we know what's gone on. Did you notice it? He'd gotten himself into this thing. David had sinned again. Jeff, I wonder if maybe he did it after, <laughs> after it happened. You think, he'll never do that again, and maybe he had done it again. And so he comes back in verse 12, and he says, it really, my sins have caught up to me, is what he says. So apparently he'd been trying to hide these things uh, yet again, but here he takes time to confess and again to say, oh, these are serious things, and they are numerous. Now, when you think about the slimy pit situation he was in, so he's dealing with his on, on go, ongoing moral and ethical failure, the things sometimes I talk to you about at communion times when I say, oh man, will God forgive us again? You know, will he start with us again? He was wrestling with that, and at the same time, he had external opposition too. So you can read in verses 14 and 15, there are these enemies in the midst of his own inner struggle, enemies out there who were mocking him, who wanted to ruin his life, and he said, some of them even want to take my life. Now, of the many things I could say, what I want you to notice this weekend is the way that David approached being in this slimy pit situation when he was in it yet again as he wrote Psalm 40. Because what he did made it possible for him ultimately to find his way back to God. It's what I saw in this psalm that brings me to want to preach it to you right now, back in 1994. I've really been taking time to think about this. Back in 1994, when I was in a hospital bed, not knowing what was next, I read what David did in Psalm 40, and I noticed these things. I'll be bringing them back several times. He slowed down. Of course, when you're in a hospital bed, you have to slow down. <laughs> but he slowed down didn't try to rush into it. Number two, he remembered. When he was slowing down, he remembered who God is and what God had done in the past. And then number three, he asked. What, what he asked God to do was what he had already remembered him doing in verses one through three. Lord, I need you again. Please turn to me. Please hear my cry. Please lift me again out of this mess. Please set my feet again. Will you start again with me? Did you give up on me? Will you set me on a new place to stand, a rock, a solid place? And will you give me, Father, a new song to sing? Can the joy in my heart ever be restored? I'll tell you, it's that sort of a formula that I put together uh, that I've, has been so helpful to me in ongoing slimy pit situations. Of course, you never have them at Lake Avenue Church. Just, just, I'll, throw that out in case you wonder. But with that in mind, I'll just put sort of the formula in front of you. I don't really like formulas very much, but I, I kind of find these steps to be helpful. They've become for me a spiritual discipline, really. So and I've entitled it, you see it, What to Do in a Slimy Pit. Um, so simply, slow down. Remember. Ask. Then one of the hardest parts. Wait, wait. <laughs> and then I'm going to say something about acting. So step one, slow down. Now, you ever watch those old cowboy 
in Indian movies when people got caught in quicksand. I put a picture in case you've forgotten about these things. If, if you're my age, you watch these younger people. You, you don't remember that. You, get, you know, when you get caught in quicksand, the more you struggle, the more of a mess you get in. You can't get out of this quicksand when you're just frenetically struggling right there. And I'll tell you the same I have found to be true when I've gotten into these slimy pit situations in my life. So when David was in a time of trouble that we read about this, this time in verses 11 through 17, I'll tell you, he may have wanted to um, run. He may have wanted to panic, to hide, just in frustration, blame everything else out in this world, maybe even God himself. But rather than reacting in those ways, he slowed down for a moment to do all the things we read about in verses 1 through 10. Now, I will just tell you, slowing down in the midst of a crisis does not come naturally to most of us as human beings. Can I have a witness here? Anybody agree? Slowing down in the midst of a crisis does not come, certainly not to me. For some, the first response to a slimy pit situation is an emotional reaction, like, like panicking or anxiety or paranoia or, or blaming everything out there or angry outbursts. And, and, and I'll tell you, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Those kinds of emotional reactions rarely help you to get out of the pit. In fact, I've never seen them. For others, we just try to fix this thing fast with our own wit and with our own strength. I'm just telling you, generally, if you watch me, you won't see me emotionally out these bursts happening from me, but inside I'm always trying to problem solve. I've got to fix this thing right now. And I'll just tell you, when you get into tough human predicaments, they don't fix fast. And there are times that all of us get into that we don't have the strength to fix them. And I think we can learn from David that there is a time, those times, to slow down, even if it's just for a short while, until things can calm down in your heart, until you can gain perspective on the situation, find maybe beginning wisdom for what to do. I'll, I'll just tell you, you can't always do this. But, but when I feel these things you know, in, inside of me and I want to slow down, I, I find that the best thing for me to, is I can find a place to be alone for a moment, solitude, and a place that isn't so loud, silence find I need to put my phone away <laughs> those times so that nobody can break in so that I can just slow down and be with the Lord. I need to calm my soul. And I'll tell you, when I take a time to slow down, not always, but so often, Pastor Jeff, your first point from last Sunday kicks into my mind, which he called self-awareness. Anybody remember that? Because I, I begin to realize that even though my first inclination is to say, well, it's the system here, it's that person out there, you know, all these things. But I, it's not just the things happening to me, but there are things happening in me that need to be changed. That's what happened to David in verse 12, where he says, oh, my sins are so numerous. It happens to me too. And I know I have to take time, that time to slow down, to confess those things to the Lord, to repent of them. I've got to make sure my heart is right with him. So slow down. Now, what do, what do you do in that slowing, slowing down period? Just slow? The second thing I've written down that's so important, remember, remember. Did I put the Hebrew word up here for you? We won't learn fluent Hebrew here today, but this is a good word to learn. Zakar. It's a, it's a very important word I don't want you to forget. 
because the Hebrew word zakar means to remember. So I don't want you to forget to remember, okay? <laughs> it's a very important thing in the Old Testament, actually in the entire Bible. Many times it was for the whole nation. When, when the people of Israel would get into trouble and they got themselves into trouble over and over and over again, and then they would turn to God and God would be the gracious God that he is and he would rescue them. He would tell them, take time to remember. In fact, they would build these, he would tell them in times like when he rescued them out of Egypt or when he rescued them out of the wilderness, they would set up what are called Ebenezer stones. Eben is Hebrew for, for uh, stone. Azer is the word for help. Stones of when God helped me. <laughs> so they would do that so that, you know why? they would remember who God is, that he rescues us when it all seems impossible. And David here is going to say, well, that's true for us as a nation, and I would say it's true for us as a church too, but it's also true for us as individuals. David took time to remember back to another time when he'd been in an impossible situation when he remembered, he meditated upon what happened, what God did, and he applied that to his situation. So here's, here's the point I, I want to make. Uh, zakar, that, that when you slow down and remember, it's not just bring something to mind and then go on. It means remember and meditate. Did, did I write that down? Yeah, there, I forgot to. Meditate on what he did. Think about it. Think about whether he's the same God who's still with you right now. Meditate on it. Apply that to your current situation. And really, Jeff, you mentioned that in your second point last week. I just remember that wonderful sermon where he said to remember the knowledge of God and of his ways. Do you remember that? I'm going to underscore that today. In the remembering, remember who God is. Remember his ways. Remember also what he asks of us. I, I do things like, when I've gotten myself into it, remember that he's the one who sent Jesus actually to save me from these sins. He forgives. He's the one, David remembered, who rescues failures out of slimy pits. He's the one who doesn't write people off even after we have failed. He puts our feet on solid ground, all these things in verses one through three, and he changes things and gives us new hope for the future so that we're even singing song of these, some of these songs with Mark Portis again when we go to church. That's who God is. We remember those things. It's what David did. So I'm gonna come back to this in my last sermon to you, August 25th. I'm gonna call it the power of remembrance. But I'm gonna stop there for right now because I think this is such a key to our walks with God, to slow down, to remember. And once we have done that, then we're ready to ask, to ask. Because I'll tell you, when we've looked at inside of ourselves, when we've slowed down and seen these things, when we remember who God is and what he does, at least I find myself ready to pray. And let me, let me just tell you this. When you've actually done a little bit of what David did and, and said, oh, I see these things in my own life. And when we remember back the grace of God again and again, you pray as you've never prayed before when you're in the midst of those difficult times. Anybody ever experienced this? You pray with specificity. <laughs> you pray with fervor. It's not just written down prayers that you've heard from your church or your parents. You, you, and knowing who God is, you pray with renewed hope. Now, now that prayer will always be 
uh, a whole lot like I pray, like Jesus' prayer, when he was, from a human perspective, in a slimy pit situation. Do you, do you remember when that was? Just before he was going to die, he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross, and yet he knew the physical agony of that, and he also knew what it would be like to bear the punishment for our sins. And do you remember what he prayed when he asked of the Lord? He said, um, Father, my prayer is this, that this cup of crucifixion will be taken from me. But that was not the will of the Father, and his prayer is followed by the way that I always want you and me to pray, but your will, not mine. And aren't you glad he prayed that? Because that's, that's the very means of you and me being here and having forgiveness for our sins. Now, the other thing is the book of James sometimes tells us that we don't have because we don't even bother to ask. But I'm just gonna tell you my experience. When you are in a slimy pit situation and you remember who God is and what he does, then you'll ask. You will ask. And here's David's ask, verse 13. Be pleased to save me, Lord. You ever prayed that? Come quickly. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. So we have the slow down. Uh, remember. Ask. Uh, now the, this little parenthesis I put in here. It's the hardest part sometimes for me. I called it wait, wait. Now one of the striking things, Estella was reading for us. I don't know if you noticed. When this psalm ends, David is still in the slimy pit. Did you, did you notice that? What a way to end a psalm. He, he, he would just turn and say, uh, do not delay. <laughs> do not delay. I, I prayed that too. So David still had to wait when he was in that pit for guidance. He still had to wait for God's provision. I imagine it was hard for him to wait. Don't you think so? It's not our normal human tendency to like to wait because we would like to have, when we've asked, we've done all these things, we want immediate answers. Often we want immediate gratification. I've, I've just got to tell you, as your pastor, God doesn't usually work that way. God doesn't usually work that way. Learning to wait on God's timing, according to what I see in the scripture, is an essential part to our own spiritual development the genuine faith. In fact, if you'll take the time to read through the Psalms, the three Psalms that lead up to Psalm 40, Psalm 37, 38, and 39, all have those places where we are told to wait upon the Lord. And then if you will look at Psalm 40, verse one, once again, most of our versions will have David sort of giving this testimony, I waited patiently on the Lord. I've just gotta tell you, in, in the original language, in Hebrew, the word patiently was not there. <laughs> is patience easy for you? It wasn't easy for him either. So really what he says is something like this. I waited, waited, waited upon the Lord. And then, and then he came in. I, I've, I've sort of paraphrased verse one, my, my own words. So here's, here's sort of the way I, I, I read what David was writing there. He said, back when I was in another slimy pit, and I desperately wanted out. I waited, waited, waited upon the Lord. And in his perfect time, he reached down, he heard me, and he rescued me. 
okay, as a longtime follower of Jesus, I will just tell you, this has been my experience with God so many times. Has it been for you as well? We must wait, but faith asks us to do that. And in slimy pit situations, if you're in one right now, I want you to learn to remember back to who God is. And then if, if, if you're not getting the immediate gratification or answer that you want, don't just say, this doesn't work for me. I so much want you to learn to wait in faith. With that faith, live in obedience to God while you're waiting and always have hope because God is God. Now let me take you to the next step that I put in. I call it act. You don't really see that in this psalm. It, this comes out of my own walk with the Lord because I found that when I'm in those slimy pit situations, I generally want to know everything about where God's gonna take me next. <laughs> I, I'd like, I like even, even right now in a time of transition time, I would, I'd like to know exactly where we're gonna be two years from now, Lord. And he, he never tells me that very well. But I'll tell you, when I'm in those situations and I don't quite know how to get out, here has been my experience. I, I can almost always find one thing that I know God would have me to do in this place. One small step that God would have me to take. And here, here's what I've learned to do. That when I can see that one thing, that this is what God would have me to do, often a step of obedience or going up and getting things right with a friend or whatever it is, I take that small step and once I've taken that small step, I almost always discover that I know at least one more step that I might take. And I take that step too until finally I start to see how God is pulling me out of this pit and I experience his rescue. There's the formula that I, that I want to sort of lay in front of you. And even as I do, I want to confess to you so fully that as long as I have been uh, thinking about doing life this way in the midst of this difficult world, it does not come naturally to me. Because of that, I think about this entire formula or process that I give you as a spiritual discipline. I find I have to, in that slow down phase, I have to say, Lord, this is, this is where I naturally want to go with this thing. But I'm going to wait and come back and remember you and ask and trust you and live for you until I see more. So I was talking with this, I, I tell you most weeks, I take time sometimes with my colleagues uh, to talk about the text that I'll be preaching to you about. And this week I was with uh, Chris Ramsey, who uh, heads up Sunday evening services and who works with young adults here. I was with uh, Pastor Janine Smith, who heads up our adult ministries. And I was with Sega Warko, who heads up counseling here. And all of them, they wouldn't let me out of this, all of them have said, Pastor Greg, in, lay this out in front of us but you've got to walk us through how this has actually happened in your life. Can you think of a time when this, I said, yeah, I can think of too many of them. So I just decided to choose one, and I've decided the best thing for me to do is to take you back to that hospital bed when this psalm took on new meaning to me. It was 25 years ago. It was after I had experienced three years of repeated episodes of pancreatic attacks. So it was a time not unlike, if you read through the Psalms I ask you to read through, not unlike Psalm 38, where the slimy pit situation that David was in, in in Psalm 38 was that he was sick and he didn't think he would ever get well. I was in the very place. The attacks were becoming more frequent, they were becoming more painful and more debilitating. When the worst one hit in August 1994, 
I was almost positive that there was no medical solution to my condition. Now you say, why didn't you pray? Well, boy, we prayed. And our church did what the Bible tells us to do in obedience. James chapter five, and we do this here at Lake. And we have seen the healing power of God here. But not always do we see it the way that we want it to be. But my church had done that too. They had spent the, sent the spiritual leadership of our church over to the hospital. They had anointed me with oil. They had prayed for God to, to, to heal me and to resurrect me. I recall though, that in the midst of that pancreatic pain, because that didn't happen, that healing didn't happen immediately, I remember feeling so anxious. I remember doing so much of what I see uh, David doing, crying out to the Lord for relief. It was in one of those moments that I was reading through the Psalms and I came to Psalm 40, and I remember just sort of saying, Lord, I'm in one of those slimy pits. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And that's when I started putting these, this formula together. I decided to do what David did. Slow down. Like I said, in the hospital bed, there's not much else you can do anyway. <laughs> Slow down to remember. Newer believers, it'll be harder for you to do this, but for most of us, we should be able to do this to remember back to other times when God broke into our lives. It took time to remember when God's presence was so real to me I could remember so many of those times when I had just given up hope and thought there's no help, that God had come and that he had changed things. I meditated on that. I applied it to this situation. I asked. I asked him to do it again. <laughs> kind of like David did. I said, Lord, uh, I'll seek to be obedient to you in this place. I'll give witness to you, even now, whether I get healed or not. If you take me home, I'll trust you with that too, and that's the home, really home up there. I remember specifically this prayer, though. I said, Lord, will you show me one, just one step that I might take in the midst of this situation? Now, I knew, and Chris is here in the front row, we knew that this team of gastroenterologists who had been treating me were going to be meeting together to discuss my case. Uh, one of them, the doctor that we were closest to, uh, Dr. Schwartz, uh, came in to confer with Chris and me after the meeting. He told me that that team, they'd tried everything, but now they could not at all agree on what to do in my case. But he said they all agreed that my body would not withstand another attack. That doesn't give you a whole lot of hope, does it? I don't know what to do, but you're not going to be able to handle another one. Then he told me, I'm gonna to talk to you about something that none of the other doctors support, that he had found this experimental treatment. It was in Chicago when the thing, and the doctor was in Milwaukee. Uh, he said, my, my colleagues would never recommend this to you because it's so experimental, but he said, I think this might be your, your best hope. And here's what he said. Are you willing to take one step in that direction of giving the doctor a call? and seeing, some of you are anticipating where this is going, <laughs> and talk with that doctor who's doing these procedures. And I remember saying, did you say one step? <laughs> and he, he said, one step. So I took that step. Um, that step led to many other steps. It involved a lot of waiting. I, should I tell you the end of the story? As you know, here I am, right? <laughs> here, here I am. Um, 
It's been almost, Chris, have you thought about it? Almost exactly 25 years since I had that last pancreatic attack. I haven't had another one. I'll tell you how I look at this thing. I say God heard my cry. He, heard, he lifted me out of that hospital bed. He set my feet on a new place, Pasadena, California. He gave me a new sermon to preach and a whole lot of songs to pray, uh, praise to sing with you. Uh, need I tell you, it doesn't always work out that way. God's ways are not ours. Um, Paul had prayed often for this sort of thing, and God never took that thorn out of his flesh, whatever that was. But I'm telling you, whether it works out that way or not, I've found this basic formula I've outlined for you, just a good way to walk through this world that just seems to be filled with ever-recurring slimy pit situations. I could have told you of some that happened back at the university when the bank was going to shut down the school. I, I'll tell that another day. You might, you might be asking, um, Pastor, um, have you ever been in slimy pit situations for the same reason that King David was, because of your own failures, your own poor choices, your own sins? And I have to confess to you, yes, yes. But I'll tell you, it's the same process, isn't it? When that is the case, I mean, he shows us that too. It calls for confession and repentance. So today, I want to end the service this way. I want to put that formula back up. I want to give you the chance to just begin to apply this, what I saw in this psalm to your own life. Uh, are you in one of those places right now where you're not sure what the next step should be? If you're not, just say, thank you, Jesus. But we'll get ready for the next time. Maybe what I'd want you to do is to think about a friend or a family member who's in one of those places. But if you're in one of those places particularly, I want you even now in the moments that you have, why don't you bow your head for just a moment. Let me, let me lead you through this and in prayer. I want you to slow down. Think about that situation. What's happening? Allow your heart to be calm before the Lord instead of reacting, or instead of just trying to immediately solve the problem. Slow down. Will you take a moment now to remember Zakar? When has God broken into your life in the past? Think about the time God has been most real to you. Newer believers, this will be a little bit harder for you. But maybe even in what brought you to faith, if, if you've come to faith, you can remember how God broke into your life. If you can, remember how he, he loved you back to him and showed his grace to you and gave you a new beginning. Will you meditate on that and apply that to your situation? Remember, he's the same God who forgives sins, who renews strength, who gives new beginnings. Remembering that ask, 
that ask might be first for your own forgiveness and being set free from whatever bondage might be there, that ask might be healing or a rescue, ask being willing to wait, wait, wait on God's time. And perhaps if you're not quite sure what on earth to do, ask him to just show you one small step. It might be learning to pray again. It could be so many things. One small step. Father, you are the great God who saves and rescues. I pray I've been faithful to this, your word, through which you have spoken so powerfully to me over the years. I pray that you will do that even in our congregation now. I pray that you will redirect the lives of those who are walking away from you. I pray that you will renew the hope of those who have lost it. For you are our God. Do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.